Folks, we did it. You did it. You finally driven me over the edge. Uh, I I'm I want to address something that's been getting on my nerves for the past little while. Some might say the past almost 30 years. All right. Started in the schoolyard. And then it just kept going. My last name is DeWitt. I am Alex DeWitt. Not do it. If you're over the age of nine years old, actually, I'll, I'll be generous. If you're over the age of 12, all right? If you're a preteen, okay? If, if, if you're past that age and you're still calling me do it, I don't know if there's enough negative adjectives to describe your level of intelligence. I, I don't get and people legitimately believe that my name is Do It. Do It. They're, they're calling me up like that. I had, I had a comic the other day hosting a show. Nice kid. He was he was younger, so I gave him the benefit. He was a nice kid. Not a, not a bad guy, but he called me Alex Do It. And I almost left the building like a fucking diva. I, I'm not at the level yet. I don't know if I ever will be where I'm, I, I can actually get away with leaving shows because I'm in a bad mood. Or, or bailing last minute because I don't like the people that are around me. But I, I, I had that feeling come upon me. It was just something I kind of had to swat away. But it happened within a few minutes, so I, I kind of had to brush it off because I had to perform. But do it. That's, that's how people call Have some respect, all right? I'm a quarter Dutch or less than a quarter, whatever it is. I, I failed math three years in a row applied math, which was the easiest kind, whatever it was. But I, I'm I'm a little bit Dutch, all right? And that that's where I get the last name, all right? These people came over from Holland here, and we kept the last name. That's a very uh, unique last name, apparently. There's there's people all throughout North America who, who've named towns after DeWitts. There's one outside of Syracuse, New York. There's a DeWitts Corners in, uh, I think, northern Ontario. And I think I have family in both places. And uh, that, that's just my namesake. And I want to keep, do it, okay? Spell it out. Sound it out. I've been hearing it since I was younger. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Holy shit, when the water boy came out, I wasn't allowed to enjoy the movie. I was getting, you can do it everywhere I went, everywhere I walked. From nine-year-olds all the way into high school, there was chicks that I had crushes on. They just, they, they, they dismissed me as just some kind of joke. Fuck you, Rob Schneider. That's what I'm trying to say. No, but have some, put some respect on my name. Birdman doesn't get enough credit for that line. Everybody kind of goofed on him when he did it, but put some respect on my name. There's a universal truth to that line when he said it. Give me some goddamn respect. I've never been to Holland, nor do I have any interest in going ever. Seems like a fairly monotonous place. I don't really do drugs. I don't, I don't dabble in the devil's lettuce. I've, I've said uh, a number of times. I don't do hash brownies, anything with weed. I'm not really into the red light district, any, any of that shit. Just give me the respect. Don't call me up to Alex Do It. Please don't. You make me sound like a gimmick when I go on stage. You make me sound like one of those old BET comics, like the token white comic that would get up at like the comic view. Hey, everybody, it's Alex Do It. And he gets up there with spiky hair and sunglasses. 
He's been on a month-long bender in fucking Cancun. He doesn't know what day it is. He's just getting up and doing that hacky material about, you know, he's trying to pander to the audience. Just, yo, I'm, I'm the white boy. White people like to, white people cut their turkey this way. And that, that's the material. That's the whole fucking five-minute act. They used to do it in clips, too. I don't think they showed a whole comic. Whatever. I kind of miss the comic view. I miss BET in like it's early. I'm not, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Uh, sipping my iced coffee. I'm switching it up. All right. Remember, I, I, I said last episode for those who remember. Do you get, do you, does my audience recall when I. No, but I. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to get up seeming like that. Uh, that uh, that that dick who's like, you know, I'm like a, I'm like a one trick pony. All of my success and my likability relies on my gimmicky, la- my, my gimmicky, you know, yo, I'm Alex Do It. Yo, I may as well come on stage with a fucking toolkit. I may as well be ripping off Larry the Cable Guy at this point. Like, are you guys ready to get it done? And I hold the fucking microphone out to the audience. While they all simultaneously go, yes, like that. Just, it's Alex DeWitt, all right? Anyways, do you guys know who I am? Do you know who I am? I used to perform in front of massive audiences of crowds of drunken people, women with their tits out. For some reason, that's a good. I, I sound like I'm going into a cross, like a hybrid between, like a, a Jack Nicholson, Andrew Dice Clay hybrid. I don't know where I'm going with this. But I used to be somebody. I used to be somebody. I used to be a guy who had, who, who people admired. I had the admiration of my peers. Not really, but I had, I opened for Rock Him. Okay, people? That's the kind of caliber I'm at. I did actually open for Rock Kim when I when I uh when I did the my my hip my hip hop. I really did. And uh I don't I don't know if there's anybody who's ever uttered that sentence the way I just did in that particular tone. I opened for Rock Kim, you know that? Um but no, one of the all-time great rappers, pioneers of hip hop, I had the honor of actually opening up for him or being one of the people that opened up for him, at the Phoenix Concert Hall on the 4th of July, July 4th, 2014. It was a beautiful summer day, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was the first act. I, no, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was summoned. Like Somebody called me up in the middle of the night. Hey, Alex, we got Rakim coming to town, and we need an opener, and we could think of nobody more suitable than you, than a baby-faced 22-year-old man child who greases up his hair like it's 1954 and wears a, a denim jacket everywhere he goes that's the style that rock looking for rock looking to mix it up he's looking to find an audience with a new demographic and what better way also he wants to know if you have a coke link there was none of that i i had to pay to perform that's a very controversial way of saying that I was being pimped out. I had to, um, or whatever, I had, I had to, it's a, it's a super weird way. A lot of people think it's necessary because it gives, it gives 
young artists the opportunity to make their bones and sell themselves, but in reality, it's just venues trying to get people to pimp out fucking tickets for them. And it should be the venue's job to sell the tickets. I agree that it kind of helped me sell myself a little bit. I was always kind of this cocoon fucking kid who never really wanted to talk to anybody, but it gave it gave me a chance. It gave me... Um, <laughs> but really, in reality, I was just being pimped out by a venue. But, uh, yeah, what, what a... Uh, that, that was a wild show. And I remember I went up first... And Rakim wasn't even in the bill. I don't even know why I'm mentioning this, like me and Rakim in the same fucking sentence. I didn't get a chance to meet him. I touched his hand because I was in the audience when he performed and I reached out and he like he he did he did that thing that all rappers do when they stand up on a speaker when they're performing at a big venue and they stand up on a speaker and they reach out to the front of the crowd and like try to touch as many hands as they can. And I reached out and I that was my that was my that was my one encounter with true greatness. I touched a legend, everybody. That was, that was probably my most memorable time opening for somebody just because of who it was. And then Tech 9 was probably... I did him uh, about two months later, September of 2014. So that was a big fucking year. And then a year later, I quit. Rap. Forever. I was done. Not even a year later, maybe six months, whatever. 2015, I was watching Battle Rap. It was a bunch of white kids with their hats twisted backwards. And I knew right then and there, this is not the place for me. This is not the scene. I've seen too many of it. those idiots like that. I know that they're not authentic. All right? They're trying to act all hood to impress people when in reality, you know, they're going to family reunions and going, hey, Uncle Bob, does anybody have the key to the outhouse? Like, just stupid shit. It's all a game to them. They don't care about the culture. They don't care about anything. I totally get the stigma towards white rappers. And I've heard argument after argument about how white, you know, are white rappers necessary? Are they guests in hip hop? Are they guests in the how, like whatever that guy Lord Jamar said that went viral? And I, I think that they probably are guests, but again, I think a lot of people are guests. I think a lot of uh, new wave rappers, no matter what color they are, are kind of guests in hip hop. I think the originators of hip hop. Were, were the actual, like, rap... I don't know where I'm getting with this, but they those were the original, like, real hip-hop guys, rappers. Oh, fuck. Do, God, do I sound like such a suburbanite saying this? Dear God, did, did the creators of hip-hop foresee this? That a guy sounding like me would be sitting alone in front of a microphone going, You see, um... Rap scholars, when when in the beginning at uh, on Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx in uh, the 1980s, when DJ Cool Herc used to throw disc at parties, and he didn't uh, he didn't foresee the impact that it would have on the world in lots of suburban white kids who get pulled over by police and simply laugh with them and then just drive away, like it's it's um. Fuck, it's surreal, almost. Like, it has to be. to those, And they're still alive. They're still relatively young. They're maybe only in their early 60s. So they remember the times, like, spinning discs at parties and rapping about, like, police brutality and all of the shit that was going on in the community. And now it's just something, it's almost irrecognizable. It's just kids with skinny jeans and fucking murses rapping about overdoses. It's uh yeah, it's a weird business. But uh 
yeah, those were weird times opening for those guys. It was fun. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but uh, I had to go. It just wasn't my scene. I didn't like it as much. Uh, and then not long after that, I was like working. It was almost it was almost like Goodfellas in a way. Like it was I I, I made the same sort of comparison. I think last episode where I was talking about yeah, I was having fun. Everybody was drinking and partying. And now it's reality. Now everybody's just kind of out of their their beer coma. And they're in the real world. Now that's that's kind of how I felt leaving rap because I got all these crazy, like these weird jobs, like one cleaning pools with my cousin, and then the other, like I think I was doing, like I, I forget where exactly. Oh no, I was cleaning pools with my cousin, uh, end of 2014, right when I wasn't fully out of rap, but I was considering, I was like contemplating getting out, and I had a, a seasonal job for two months. Cleaning pools with my cousin in a cube van, riding around. We weren't allowed to smoke, but we would smoke full packs, a pack a fucking day in that place. We would just walk. We would go. It would be like the mystery machine. Just smoke coming out of every fucking window. My cousin would be riding without a seatbelt because he's he's a rebel. He, he was a rebel that wanted to fly through the window, but a rebel nonetheless. Just a badass. And we would drive around these fucking ritzy houses and... and fucking Etobicoke and Mississauga. I cleaned the pool of the people who ran the House of Lancaster, which is one of the most prestigious strip clubs in all of Canada, one of the oldest. It's practically a Canadian institution. I'm pretty sure I have family members that have uh, blown up cots in the back room. But I, uh, I ran, uh, I, I ran, I cleaned the pool for the people that owned House of Lancaster. And it was wild. It was just this fucking crazy time. And uh, I remember when I, at the end of the season, when I had to close the pool, when I wasn't going back there, I had to close the pool for the season and like strap it up. And you did that whole thing where you had to like roll the hose out onto the road. I probably told this story on an earlier pod, but I remember we, we drained the pool, closed everything. And it was a Friday, and, and we had other pools to do before the weekend. So we're driving away, and I realized that I left my jacket in the back. It was one of my, you know, douchey denim jackets. I think the light blue one, if I'm not mistaken. I probably still have it in my closet or something. But I left it back there, and my cousin's like, we can't go back. We got to do other pools. Come on, like, we got to boogie, this and that. So I was pissed. I was like, okay, shit, I got to go in the morning and grab it. So I speed, like I'm fucking hung over to shit. I jump in my tiny little Pontiac Sunfire and I speed over to that house on Mississauga Road. This beautiful mansion, by the way. Like these people do not fuck around. They have a beautiful house. And I remember I, I, I'd never seen these people at all. They were always gone. You know, the proprietors of strip clubs will do what they have to do. Okay, there, there's places to go. There's people to extort. And so I, I pull up. I knock on the front door. There's no answer. And I'm, I don't know who I'm expecting to see here. So I'm realizing, shit, I got to go around back. And as I walk around back, I hear noise and I hear music playing and I hear music blasting. And again, I don't know who I'm expecting to see. Who I'm about to meet could be the last people I ever meet. I'm expecting to walk in. I, I'm expecting all kinds of things. But I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating... AK-47s on the table, Russian mobsters with a briefcase full of money leaving the scene. 
I turn around. I turn the corner into the backyard. All I see is just a family with a fruit tray out just enjoying their morning breakfast, I think. It was something like that. And there's kids playing soccer out on the thing. Like it's, it's like these kids, I, I, I can't imagine being a child in an environment like that where there's probably some nefarious shit going on and you have no clue what it is. You can't comprehend it. You don't have the capacity because you're a little fucking kid. But they're like playing ball on the grass. I see my beautiful pool work, right? The whole pool still sealed beautifully. Just matches the aesthetic. And uh, the wife, the uh, madam, the madam, uh, gets up with my jacket in hand. And all she says is, we've been expecting you. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And I take my jacket and I, uh, I back out <laughs> around the corner. I turn around, get back in my car, and I drive away. And that was it. I left with my jacket. I was, I, quite frankly, I was more creeped out at the fact that they were so friendly. I, 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 I wanted them to be kind of shitty and kind of mean. Instead, they were sweethearts. I, I don't like the fact that the proprietors of a gentleman's club are these nice, upstanding, kind people who were just waiting for me with my jacket folded, might I add. So it was a weird, weird moment. I wish that story was more interesting. <laughs> but it felt like that movie Get Out. It was these sort of, you know, potentially nefarious people who were very kind and friendly to you, to your face. And I don't know what they were. That, that movie has, is about something different, whatever. But I'm, I'm making that comparison to these people. Ugh. God, that fucking coffee's good. Yeah, and then I had other weird jobs, but like we would do, we would clean the pools, Mississauga, Etobicoke, Oakville. Those were our territories. And Oakville was where, like, Mississauga Row was cool. You had some ritzy shit in Etobicoke. Oakville was where, like, the serious big old money was that you would see. There's a lot of that shit, like, again, in Etobicoke, you got places like the Kingsway, you got places like Central Etobicoke area, like that, that district is like hedge fund people. You know, people in the backyard with fires lit. Everybody's wearing a, a different animal. They're sacrificing. Probably somebody from House of Lancaster. You know, they're all interconnected. It's all a racket. But uh, just a... Uh, I, I remember some of the homes. Like, people would have just these big TVs coming out of their patio floors. They would just press a button and, uh, like, that was it. But like I, I also, it's weird because Oakville has like a crack side too, and I, I worked in a restaurant bar in Oakville. In that that area, like the seedy area, there there's like a seedy sort of underbelly in Oakville that's not as good. And it, it, this is the scenario with all of those different cities where it's like lakefront property. The further you get away from the lake the poorer it gets. And it's, it's, it's kind of sad. Like it's, it's this very, you know, people are kind of living shoulder to shoulder. It's like rich versus poor. That's what America is in a nutshell, in a lot of ways. There's very little kind of in between like people who are sort of middle of the road and it's, and it's only getting smaller. 
But that's what it was like in Oakville. It was kind of a microcosm of what that reality is. Like you got the super rich people live by the lake. They get to set off fireworks whenever the fuck they want. The fire department comes by like, hey, you know, Joe just told us to give you a warning, but hey, mind if we come in for some drink? Like it's that kind of relationship where you can very easily get away with shit. But yeah, like it's just uh, all all of the it's very segregated, like the poor separate from the rich. And you got to be of a certain tax bracket to be with the like in Oakville. I'm pretty sure their beaches have signs that say, if you make any less than 200 grand, don't come onto this beach. Oh, you make 150? Well, get lost, vagrant. It's that kind of deal. But I worked at uh, a like a biker. I think I mentioned this too. Fuck, like I'm getting into old material now. I don't want to. I don't want to try. I want new shit. I feel like I need a road trip or something where I need to like you know my car to break down on some highway. And just have some guy help me switch my fucking tire because I'm not manly enough to do that. And then as I uh, turn around to thank him, he's just gone. Like some Stephen King shit. I feel like that's needed in my life at this point. For me to get some new stories, some new experiences, then I come back onto the pod and regale you with all of it. <sighs> I hope the mic's not picking up that fucking ice. Oh yeah, what are we, 21 minutes? Eh, whatever. Whatever. Uh, I don't know what's going on with my hair. I got a haircut Friday. I keep getting my sister to do my hair, so I always go to her. And I just sit in my parents' garage and I just, she, she goes to work. She, my sister still lives with my parents. And I just go to her whenever I want a, a, a fresh one. And she, uh, she doesn't want any money, nothing like that. I think I'm going to kind of insist, like, buy her lunch or some shit. But she does a fucking bang-up job on the do. But I'm, I'm kind of noticing that my hair is changing. I don't know. I've always had fine hair. That's always what it is. Every time I've sat in a barber's chair, I got to go through that shit. Especially when I have a new barber. I always got to go through that and explain to them, like, no, I'm not balding. I just have fucking, my hair's always been that way. And she's always like some Eastern European, like, I think, you no, you really need to look at Rogaine. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do the Rogaine. I don't want to do the Propecia or any of that shit. I don't want to take anything that's like pill form for my hair to grow back. I know what that does. Like, it causes like, what does it cause? Like ED or some shit? Yeah, I know the deal. I'm not getting scammed. Fucking big pharma in bed with big hair. Again, all the same racket. Sums up podcast. Oh, guys, Stagger. My short film, five-minute short film. We've got it done. we got to patch up a couple things, make a couple adjustments, but it will be out Friday, July 30th in its entirety. We're going to put it on IGTV. We're probably going to put it on YouTube. Uh, we're going to distribute it to festivals, but make sure you look out for it. It's going to be it's going to be out. Um, you know what? I'm fucking releasing this podcast the day that it comes out. So watch it today. Watch it this weekend. It's called Stagger by Laughing Stock Studios. That's the name of our production company. We're doing a whole bunch of cool shit. We got some good plans. We got some good plans. So make sure you uh, watch that today or whenever you get a chance. It's good. We're happy with it. We like what we did. My buddy uh, Tom, Tom the Bomb, Tattoo Tom, he had some words of encouragement for me because I was a little, I was a little on the downside. I was a little kind of scared, and he said, "You know what? Fuck it, man. You made a movie. We made the movie. 
this thing wouldn't have existed before if it wasn't for us. This one thing wouldn't have done. So I'm really happy with what we have. The movie, again, I say it's called Stagger. It's out today. Watch the goddamn thing because I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with it. Sums off podcast. Follow on Instagram, The Talk, Twitter, Alex DeWitt15 on Twitter. Take